Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Hour number two is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. If you missed hour one of the program, we got into it with Philip Heronik and what we can expect from the Canucks and their deployment of the top four. Also a lot on JT Miller, including this quote from Frank Saravalli. I still believe that the Canucks' first preference is to find a new place for JT Miller to play next season. You can find that full conversation available on your favorite podcatcher. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah, but right now, it's time Man, for the mailbag. Anyway, be, 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 okay. One thing before right. the mailbag. One thing before the mailbag. We didn't ask about JT Miller. <laughs> No, we didn't. So we uh, talked about off-season plans. <laughs> yes, and just FYI, we're, we're not like I, I, you know, we're we're not the ones who are, who are trying to dig into a JT Miller discussion. We were just talking about Heronic and how to improve the team. Yeah, I, I was asking, you know, about uh, going out and adding uh, another top four defenseman and a third line center, and uh, yeah. there we were Before, talking about JT Miller getting traded again. Yeah, before people start, you know, criticizing us for trying to trade <laughs> JT, we're not. We didn't bring up JT. It's not us. We ask questions. Yeah, we get answers. Uh, you can ask some questions uh, now as we get into the mailbag. Let's do it. Hit the music. All right, mailbag Friday here on Canucks Central. We bring in producer Josh Elliott Wolf to the conversation. Hello. Hi, Josh. I'm still reeling from that uh, Miller clip. Yeah. Getting the people going is Frank Cervalli. Josh oh, did man. a little fist bump in the uh, <laughs> in the producer's room because, yes, we got a great clip. This is beautiful. Yeah, as a producer, even yeah. if throwing all the whether I want JT Miller traded or not away, <laughs> great clip. You had, I mean, Josh was so excited. He had that posted before Frank was done his hit. Dude, <laughs> I was efficient. It was great. Uh, I saw the Instagram notification pop up on my phone before we said bye to Frank. I'm like, what the hell is going on? I work quick. That quick. Uh, so let's get started with the mailbag. Uh, we got a lot of questions about this. Who do you think should replace the irreplaceable John Garrett? And I know it's a it's a hard conversation, but yeah, he uh, is a, he is very, like I said, irreplaceable. Yeah. It's a tough one, right? Because, like, it's – and I get it. It's a fair question to ask, right? I understand fans are asking who's going to be next. It's the same thing as we hear uh, in organizations and sports. When a guy retires, it gets moved. Who's going to replace him? That's a conversation that happens right away. I'd say we should allow the man to get off the elevator before we talk about who's going to get on the elevator. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I understand it from that respect, you know, Dan? Yeah. It's, uh, it's a level of curiosity. Who could yeah. take over and uh, – I totally get it, um, but as we saw with many of the tributes after Cheech made his announcement yesterday, the guy's just an absolute legend to, to fans of this franchise, to the broadcasting business in this country. Um, let's let's enjoy what we have left before uh, you know figuring out who's coming next to replace John Garrett, uh, because we only have so many left of Garrett in the booth alongside John Shorthouse. 
Yeah, and the reality is, I don't know. I mean, you know, we asked too. It's like, so is there a plan already in place? So like, we don't know. Like, all of us are kind of wondering, mm-hmm. you know, what is next here, and 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 figuring out who wants to do this job or not too. Because I see a lot of people mentioning it's like, you know, Kevin Bieksa, this guy. It's like, you know, does that, does that guy does that does that guy even want to do that job? Which is a lot of yeah. travel with the team. Like, it's one of those things. It's easy to say, just throw names out there and stuff. And it's like, well, number one, would the person even be willing to do it? And it's a big undertaking. You know what I mean? It's a big undertaking. I know we have a lot of guys in this market who've done a great job. You know what I mean? Who could step in and do a good job with it? Huge shoes to fill, of course. But I think it's very much undetermined yet. All right, moving on. Austin and Langley, both Willannon and PDG get extensions for next year. What percent credit does Canuck Central get for making that happen? <laughs> Your boys. All, all of the credit. All of the credit. Have I mentioned PDG is on a 21-goal pace through 19 games? I, th- I thought you were just going to say, have you mentioned PDG? <laughs> have you mentioned like, Yes, you have a few times. Hey, shouts to Andre Kuzmenko uh, reading the lineup yesterday and absolutely nailing Phil DiGiuseppe pronunciation. Just <laughs> yeah, absolutely love to see it. Just crushing it. Uh, you know what? As much as I'd love to take credit for uh, – you know, PDG becoming a fan favorite in this market and earning a new contract. He did that all himself. Um, same with Willannon. They've, they've both they've both played really well. I'm not going to take any credit, yeah. but uh, I will celebrate the success of my children. So that's what I'll do. <laughs> Very well put. Very well put. Next one from Brando. Does a fourth line next year of Joshua, Oman, and PDG produce like a third line? Do the Canucks land one of the top college or European free agent right defenseman. Separate questions. Yeah, two questions there from uh, from Brando. Appreciate it. Um, look, I, I think uh, Joshua Oman as a duo have produced fairly well as a fourth line to begin with. Is it, like you get ten goals out of Dakota Joshua. Oman has played better since recalled from the AHL and looks yeah. like a more confident player. Um, yeah, I think those guys, you can project them as a fourth line next year as a duo and feel fairly comfortable with that. I'm not sure PDG fits on their right wing, though, as he's a natural left winger. Yeah, I mean, I'd say, okay, so the thing to keep in mind here is we're talking about what what should third line production be viewed as, right? Right. What do we think as good third line production? I'd say a guy that gets anywhere from 10 to 15 goals, right? And anywhere from what? 25 to 40 points, somewhere in between that, like 30 yeah. some points. It's on, hard to get over 40 points if you don't get a power play time. Yeah. On, uh, I'd say on a few like quality teams, you you might have you know, a third liner getting close to 40 minute 40 points because maybe they're you know a bigger part of the power play or yeah. something to that extent. It's it's a little bit different for every team, but as far as five on five production goes, you know. You'd like to see those players generally uh, above 30 points and probably cresting, you know, the double-digit goals mark. Maybe not all of them, but but at least one of one or two of your third liners. Yeah, and I mean, if we want to go back to a, a frame of reference, and 2011 is oftentimes viewed as a frame of reference because that's yeah. the last contending team we saw in Vancouver, and it's the one that everybody is familiar with. So. They had, as a third line, one of the more effective third lines in the league that year, Manny Malhotra down the middle, 
Rafi Torres on one wing and Yannick Hansen, our boy, the Honey Badger, on the other wing. And all three players essentially were 30-point guys. Helped Mal Holtz had 11 goals, 30 points. Rafi had 14 goals, 29 points. And Yannick that year had 9 goals and 29 points. So it ended up getting, what, uh, thir- uh, you know, over 30 goals as a line? Like That's what you want. You want 30 goals as a line and about eight, about at least 80 to 90 points, somewhere around that. I don't think we're going to see those guys produce at that level as a fourth line next season. But I do think Dakota Joshua has a chance to maybe be a third liner next season. So the uh, the Boston Bruins are going to get over 300 goals scored this year. They lead the league. Uh, I think they're actually they're only behind uh, the Edmonton Oilers in terms of just raw goals for this season. And you now they've got seven different forwards above 40 points this year. Um, basically, all of their top nine are above 25 points. So that that kind of at least in the modern age, gives you a uh, frame of reference as to what, you know, getting top nine scoring from nine different forwards uh, sort of looks like. And the second part of that question, do the Canucks land one of the top college or European free agent right-handed defensemen? So we're talking like Jake Livingston uh, is one of the big names coming out of college right now. Um, and uh, the rumor, I mean, I know Doywall was uh, mentioning it, that it doesn't look like yep. that it's going to be that. You know what I mean? It doesn't look like that's going to happen. We had Faber on the other day. He was uh, mentioning a different player from Jake Livingstone uh, as far as uh, college free agents go. And there's the the big Swedish right shot defenseman that's now starting to, to get some love. Uh, he's got a real fun name, but I can't remember. Hardy right now. something. Yes. <laughs> he's got like three names. I'm any. I'm a Hardy Haman of- Actel uh, yes. is uh, the six four right shot uh, Swedish defenseman that uh, is starting to get some love. Look, uh, are they going to land him? They're going to be one of the teams that are interested. I think. I is, think they'll is land probably a- uh, one of the the ways I would put it. I think they'll land one. One of the free, one at least one NCAA slash European free agent who's considered one of the better ones. I think they'll land one who's considered one of the top ones as a right shot defenseman. Oh, I don't know about a right shot defenseman. Yeah, I, I don't know about that. But one of the players, I'll say, I, I can't answer that question with enough confidence right now. Yeah. Um. So I'd say that because they are working very hard. All right. Next one. Oh, do it. Okay. Next one. Toxic. Is Kuzmenko better than uh, Artemi Panarin in their first NHL seasons? I'd say no. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. pro- uh, he, he's becoming he more productive, but not a better player. Right. So he's already uh, scored more goals than on uh, than uh, Artemi Panarin did. But as as a player, Panarin was more complete than Andre Kuzmenko in his first year in the NHL. And he was 23. Yeah. Kuzmenko's season is unreal, though. Like the 35 goals. I know we've said this a thousand times, and maybe it's uh, starting to get a little bit overdone for people. But to think that this guy would have over 30 goals and over 60 points in his first year as a Vancouver Canuck, there wasn't too many people, maybe only Dan Milstein, that were thinking <laughs> this was the potential this guy could have. 
Yeah, nobody would have quite believed him, right? He'd be like, oh, yeah, sure, he's going to score 30 goals this season. We're yeah. like, if he gets 20, that would be huge. <laughs> I was, we were talking to him, like, if he gets 15 goals and 30-some points as a rookie, that's not bad. Let's 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 pump the brakes here. And he's blowing everything out of the water. What was the over-under uh, BCLC set playing out sports? It was 17, 17 and a half. half. Yeah. He's doubled, doubled it. it. He's doubled it. <laughs> so it's uh, – you know, I know last night he was saying he's not satisfied. He still wants to get to 40 or 45. And, I mean, great. I'd love to hear that. I, I do wonder, you know, it sounds like he's going to stay in Vancouver through the summer. And, you know, what kind of uh, training regimen they continue to have him on as they get him ready for his second full season in the NHL because that might be the one thing that's uh, stopping him from, from hitting a, another level here, Sat. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the that's the question. That's the only question here is like, it, what is the other level that he's able to reach? And I don't know if it's necessarily going to be tied to production, right? Like, I think if he's at the same goal scoring pace but makes more of an impact overall, are you happy with that? Is that taking another step, or does it have to be pure production? Yeah, I don't like. I don't know if the Canucks are as offensively potent next year as they are this year, but they may be a better team overall because of it. Mm -hmm. Next one, Ella. We got uh, Frank Saravalli's answer, but do you guys think that the team will still try and trade JT Miller before July 1st? So I'm I think not... they're open to everything, but yeah. I don't know. Uh, open to everything. I'm... Um... I'm not sure about the word try. Um, look, in a perfect world, yeah, you're able to move JT Miller and his long-term contract and be able to replace him with a younger centerman that fits more into the age of the rest of your core. But is that player going to be as impactful as JT Miller is currently? And what is that going to cost? You know, great. Oh, okay. You go out and trade J.T. Miller for Cole Sillinger or something. Who's had a tough year out there in in Columbus? Does that make you a better team next year? So then, what was the point of trading for Philip Peronic? I mean, it just it it sounds too perfect world for me to be able to to check all these boxes and end up a better team next season for the Vancouver Canucks. And, and yeah, next season, yes. But it, as much as you want to be better next year, next year the team has said they want to be a playoff team. Have they said they want to contend for the Stanley Cup next season? No. So could you still contend for the playoffs next year and set yourself up to be more have a longer window in a couple of years if that's the type of move you make? I think there is a world where that does make sense. But I, I'm with you. It's just it's difficult to, to line it up so they get the type of player that they're truly looking for. I think they're open to just about anything. We mentioned this before. I, everything is, that we mentioned, I think, is true. Outside of Patterson and Hughes, they're open to just about anything. Just got to make sure you make it worth their while and they can find that replacement. And when you start adding two or three steps that have to get hit or three or four variable, variables that all have to come together, that's what makes it increasingly unlikely. You know, it's kind of been really fun from Columbus lately because I've been pegging them as a team like they're going to make some kind of a trade to get a center. They've started playing Patrick Laine at center. And it's been kind of fun. Why not? Try different things. And now he's injured. <laughs> <laughs> Such is life. <laughs> that is so Laine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next one, Michael. 
How much does coaching affect the analytics of players and thus change the projections of individual player stats and extrapolate, extrapolate to team projections? It's an interesting question. How much does coaching affect the analytics of players? Well, it does. Like if so, if you have, if everybody plays, if <laughs> if you get system for a second and structure, because we use those words all the time. If you get buy-in and players play in a connected way, where they're available to one another as passing options and puck support, guess what happens? Teams perform better. Is it good enough to be a contender or a cup contender? Obviously, you have to have good players for it all to come together. But absolutely, unequivocally, yes. If players buy into a style of play and they support one another on the ice, their numbers will look better. We've seen proof of that right now. We even saw proof of it last year. And there's a difference between talking about sustainability of structural changes you're making and then just the notion of what happens when players buy in to playing together in a connected way and it did last year under bruce and what happened the numbers improved now it wasn't the type of improvement you'd like to see defensively and we talked about some of the warning signs but they did improve their analytics considerably and the same thing we're seeing right now so yes coaching makes a difference as long as players buy in it it will make an effect um but, but you know there's different ways to look at it, and as we've talked about, are you always, you know, falling in love with the public data that we have available to us? And I get it, you know, Corsi is is still, uh, you know, a number we will look at, and it is an indicator, but it doesn't hold the same value as it maybe did in the uh, early stages of the analytics breakout. Now, there's there's things that teams can do to to kind of boost those stats i guess but this is where you know the eye test i think becomes even more important sat and as we've seen with the canucks like everything just looks better right now with this team they are more connected you see that they aren't giving up the level of chances that they did in the past and from that perspective you know i think um that's why the the balance of watching and using the numbers to back that up uh, is very, very important for me. This one from Tim. Will the Canucks finish out of the running for first overall? So 12th, last, or better? Or, or no, they higher, will not. I guess. Uh, no, I don't think so. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, you got, I mean, okay, like I get it. And the players are playing. They're finding ways to win games. It's okay, right? I mean, hey, what are you going to do, right? It is what it is. Uh, I'm not the type of person that gets mad when they win hockey games, you know, with all that. But I would find it to be completely useless if they find themselves picking like 13th or with the 13th uh, best odds or something. If you don't give yourself any chance, if you don't have any chance of getting Connor Bedard this year, that's a fail. And I'm not saying it's on the team. It's just a, it's just a gut punch. I think it's a gut punch. If you get to the end of the season, you don't have a single shot, not a single lottery ball that can get you Connor Bedard. Two years in a row where uh, the second half push has potentially affected their draft status. <laughs> At, like Personal opinion, I don't think they expected the second half push that they ended up having last year and getting all the way to 90 plus points and drafting 15th 
Remember how shocked we were last year, Sat, that the Canucks lasted until the final week of the season? Like they weren't mathematically out until the final week of the season. It just yeah. seemed bonkers in December when they completely changed over the front office and the head coach. And then there they go and end up picking 15th overall. I don't think they will end up like that this year. Look, you, you they're still at, well, they're almost at 500, which is pretty surprising. Two games below 500 right now and getting closer to the Detroit Red Wings. But they still have a couple of teams to get over in order for that to happen. And I just, I don't really see that happening, even with the ease of schedule that they have. It's just, uh, it's too, too, too far a bridge for them to cross right now. They would have to pass St. Louis, Detroit, Buffalo, Ottawa, and Washington. Yeah, much. I don't think that's going to happen, but I mean, like I said before, uh, I'm done making predictions. Earlier this year, Daniel and Campbell, him and I were going back and forth. I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to make a bet with you that the Canucks don't get 80 points because I think they're going to get 80 points, right? Like, I'm, I'm not going to make the bet they're going to easily get 80 points. Then it's like, there's no way to get to like, you know, maybe even 70 points. So I'm I'm just going to sit this one out in terms of predicting <laughs> what, what the point total is for the end of the season because they're going to probably finish somewhere in the, what, 78 to 82 range, kind of. Well, they got 11 games. They're at 69 points. Yeah. So. 11 games, they win five. They'll be at 79. So. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm saying. Like 80, 82 might might be. (laughs) Yeah, they might. They might get to 80. (laughs) Uh, Wow. How are they getting to 80? This team was so bad earlier this year. You know, that's the thing. I mean, it wasn't just like, hey, people said goal. Yeah, goaltending was bad, of course. But. The numbers didn't lie. No team was giving up more chances and broken plays than the Canucks were. Yeah, okay. Like so it was brutal hockey. Let's let's quickly go through the schedule. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's only 11 games. Dallas, win or lose? Uh, probably an L. Dallas has got to beat them once, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you'd think so. <laughs> At Dallas, we'll call that one an L. Playing the second half of a back-to-back in Chicago on Sunday. You're getting something out of that game. It's Chicago. Uh, so we're calling that a win? It's one to two points, yeah. Okay. Mark it down as two. Uh, all right. Uh, at St. Louis on Tuesday, so playing third game and four nights on the road. We'll give that an L. Okay. Uh, Friday at home against the Calgary Flames. Oh, Calgary's going to be hungry. Let's give them an L. Okay, so we are at... Uh, one and three. One and three over the next four. L.A. Kings next Sunday on home ice at Rogers Arena. Oof. I mean, I, I, I keep an picking the opposition. It's an L, but, I mean, you really think they're going to win one out of the next five games with the way they've been playing? They have been riding a little bit of luck while, uh, they have. while, while they have. they've won a bunch of these. Uh, Seattle is the next one after that. All right. All right. Uh, okay. Uh, I, I'll say probably win that one. Okay. They have Seattle's number. So that's two and four. Okay. Home to Chicago. That's a win. That's, yeah. that's a win. Don't yeah. overthink it. It's three, a, yeah. three, three and four. Another game against Calgary. Uh, three and five. I think Give they the got to win one against Calgary. Mm. Do they have to? We've already gave them three wins. <laughs> so that's four wins uh, at Los Angeles because Calgary's going to be out of it at that point too. So it's going to be uh, – was well, LA going to be clinched? If LA is clinched, you give them a W there too. <laughs> at LA, Monday, April tenth, they might be fighting for first in the Pacific, though. LA, so that all right. Let's could give be them a, LA. Yeah, 
Uh, so that could uh, that would be a tough one. We'll give them an L there. We're at uh, <laughs> we're at four and six uh, at Anaheim and at Arizona. Like they're getting five wins, Sat. I don't know what to tell oh, you. Oh, jeez, they're getting eighty-one points, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope I hope that's enough for you to have a top <laughs> top a chance at Connor Bedard. I mean, you know, the, the reason I don't I didn't get too worked up with these wins and stuff. It's like, hey, listen, I'd love to see them pick in the bottom five, or we'd love to see it. But unless you finish in the bottom four, which was always very difficult, and we talked about like best case scenario, like you're not guaranteed at all any chance of getting the top three or four prospects in this year's draft. Like unless you get lottery luck or finish in the bottom four, you're not getting the top three or four prospects. So I'm like, you need something to go your way, anyways. But I'm gonna cross the line at number eleven. Like you can't, you can't. You just, just please give yourself one chance. Like I'll take one percent. I'll take one percent chance at Connor Bedard. Okay. Last question. Yep. We'll end with this one from Basketball Phil. You got three options: the thirty for thirty on the 2011 riots that is coming out, uh, a thirty for thirty on the series itself, the 2011 Stanley Cup Final, or a thirty for thirty on Bertuzzi versus Moore. What one do you want Ooh. the most? Bertuzzi more. Yeah, it's hard to... uh... Like, I wonder, because they are making the one on the riots, as we found out today. Um... Like, is there stuff we learn about that night that we don't know? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, everything we, we know everything that happened up with the riots, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there was so much fallout, too, in the investigation and, and everything that went on with it. Um I don't know if we learn anything new. It's kind of going to be like a first-hand account of you know of cell phone cameras, what happened on the streets, and, and I think we might see some new footage we haven't seen and things like that, perhaps. But I don't know if we learn anything new. The response was obviously discussed at length. The yeah. lack of response, who was at fault, how did it happen, the way it happened. The Bertuzzi Moore thing, we know a lot, but we also don't know a lot. There are a lot of people that kind of kept quiet, that are kind of saying things that wouldn't say things. There's innuendo and stuff that we think might be true, that we don't know is true or not. And it's something that, you know, derailed the career and the health of one player. And it derailed the any aspirations of winning a Stanley Cup for one organization in the Vancouver Canucks. I'd say there's way more juice to get out of the squeeze for Bertuzzi Moore for 30 for 30. Yeah. Uh, for me, it would be like the series itself would be ranked third. I think the, um, you've you've convinced me here on this one, Sat. The 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 riots. It might be something that's more interesting to people outside of Vancouver than it is to actual Vancouverites and Canucks fans. Mm-hmm. Um, Bertuzzi Moore, I think, is more would be interesting to Canucks fans, but also have a great story for hockey fans to know as well. But the riots, that's interesting to everybody. I will say that it is the people outside. Like I'm, yeah. I'm sick of the riot stuff myself. Like I, 100%. anytime I, anytime I see, anytime I see videos of the riot, like I, I'll just kind of scroll past it. Oh like, yeah, I have no, and, 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 and I just like pe- anytime uh, somebody from another fan base will tweet you on Twitter, it's like, oh, why don't you go riot about something? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Exactly. I mean, those things are annoying. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, I think more than anything, personally, is one of those things where like I, I love this city so much, right? And yeah. I remember 
even you know that that entire year it was such a positive year 2011 that the team was so successful it was such an incredible season to be in Vancouver it was so much excitement the playoff run was incredible and I mean this was coming off the 2010 Olympics and it, there was a sense of the city maturing in a sense right 2010 we were so welcoming to the outside world it was a two-week party across Vancouver and not a single thing happened outside of uh, what was it there's um, there was the anarchist or whatever the people that ran out and, and broke some stuff yeah, one day yeah. or whatever it was and that was pretty much it uh, the rest of it was you know just really positive uh, vibe and everything and it seemed like the city was maturing and I just didn't think at all that if things go sideways that it would happen so I was just I was embarrassed uh, as a Vancouverite I was embarrassed to see what happened and I remember working in downtown at the Black Tower it happened I, I watched it happen with my own eyes my parents were at uh, the Shark Club watching the game and because we had a broadcast there and I got them a table and I was working back at the studio and I had to leave to go down and tell my parents a riot starting because I couldn't get get a hold of them on the cell phone. I'm like, you guys got to get out of here. I had to run over, tell them to leave the place, run back to work and just completely chaotic evening and being in the middle of all of it. And I just remember watching it and, and feeling this embarrassment and anger for what happened. So personally, I'm not looking forward to watching a documentary about it, to be honest. Uh, it's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. You've been listening to The Mailbag on Canuck Central.